Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. I'm your host, Conor O'Neill, and I'm delighted to be joined this afternoon by Chris Beasley and our Everton correspondent, Joel Thomas, as we look back on the 1-1 draw at Leicester City Goodison Park on Wednesday night. Burnley's 2-0 win over Southampton on Thursday night. Sunday's huge Merseyside derby and Anfield's Everton take on Liverpool. And, of course, the overall relegation picture and what Everton must do to avoid the drop between now and the end of May. But, lads, there's only one place to start, and that is at Goodison Park on Wednesday night is Richarlison's late equaliser salvaged and in many people's eyes, rescues Everton a point against Leicester City. Bees, I'll start with you. It was a yeah. strange overnight to go to some, wasn't it? Because although the end, there was a bit of fanfare and a bit of, you know, spring everyone's step after the late equaliser. The first 20, 20 to 30 minutes were tough for you and for, for all those Everton persuasion side, Goodison. Yeah, yeah, like I said, um, I, d- I don't think many people would have been too infused before kickoff with just taking a point, but the way that the night panned out, the fact that Leicester City were ahead after five minutes, obviously conceding early to anybody isn't what you want, but I think particularly a team like them, the way they were able to just spray the ball about at ease at times and uh, obviously Frank made a few adjustments, but you know, it was it was just tough going for the most most of the night and you know, just somehow managed to I mean they had chances to equalise, but you know, Leicester had a couple of chances themselves. So to so, you know, scramble that stoppage time uh, equaliser through a deflected shot by Richarlison. Very welcome indeed. And like I said, I think I said at the time, you know, it might have been a scruffy goal. Might have just been a point that uh, you'd have thought beforehand was two points dropped. But in the end, that point might actually go a long way. Maybe one of the most precious points of the season. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it, was another, it was another strange old, old night at Goodison and, and it was a very disappointing night. But in the end, at least they got something from it and at least fans did actually leave the stadium feeling a lot better. Joel, you were alongside Chris in the Goodison Pass press box for the Echo on, on Wednesday night. How did you view the game? Did you, did you think it was a, a, a massive point game for Everton in the end or, you know, two punch dropped? Or do you think we can only make better, you know, assumption at the end of the season when... The, the, the final Premier League table is, is is confirmed. I mean, there's no point. There's no being around the bush. It's it's, it's an important point. There's no doubt in that. Um, every every point Everton get is going to be crucial. I think we can we can see that. Obviously, to say last night's um, result for Burnley, what it what that point does, what the last minute goal does, is it, it means that Everton aren't in the relegation zone at this present moment in time. It means that Burnley still have some work to do at the weekend to, to put Everton in there, and 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 that that is important. That you know that even on bad days, that Everton takes something away from games. Having said that, there was a lot of concern. I think for the first eighty-five minutes or so of that match, whether or not it was a must-win. You know, it probably wasn't, but it was a game that Everton could really have done with winning. When you look at the relegation battle, when you look at the the games coming up, points on the board as early as possible are crucial for momentum. 
you know, and it would have been nice to have put that lead out to Burnley, stretched out that lead to Burnley, and then to catch up and to keep doing that to maybe create almost a bit of a buffer zone going into into the Liverpool and Chelsea games. I think the first 30 minutes were unacceptable, really. I think they'd had 10 days off. It was a big game. It was in front of a home crowd that were there, giving Everton all the support that they could. It was under the floodlights. It was against a team that you know, perhaps have their focus on other areas at the moment with their European exploits. What we really needed to see was, you know, a bit like Burnley did last night, Everton come out on the front foot, really put them under pressure, show at Leicester that they they were in for a fight and hope that Leicester then back down away from it and and perhaps go, oh, you know what, we're mid-table, we, you know, we don't need this, we don't need the hassle of this battle and, and hopefully Everton you know, go on the way to three points, but we didn't see that. And, and that was a concern, you know, I, I think that hopefully it was just a one-off. Frank, after the game said, you know, we accepted that they were a bit off it. Maybe it was a bit of rustiness after 10 days off, as opposed to, you know, Leicester perhaps being in the groove, having played three games in that time. Um, you know, maybe it was a bit of players like Mina obviously coming in his first game for, for, for a long time. Um but I thought it was a performance that left more questions than answers going into a crucial period. And I think, you know, perhaps on the balance of chances, Everton deserved a point. They put them under, under a lot of pressure last 10 minutes. They did keep going. They did keep fighting. They could have scored plenty. Rondon, Richarlison, Coleman all could have scored before Richarlison ultimately did. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's taken that deflected last minute equaliser to give us some some positives to talk about and perhaps paper over the cracks of what was quite a poor performance in what was a big game. I think these Joel said there about, you know, having not played for 10 days and stuff. Do you think that was the main reason behind just a slow start on Wednesday night? Because for the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes, Everton couldn't get near Leicester, could they? Possibly, like I said, uh, you know, um, it, it, it was a, it was a, a prolonged period away after what had been a very in, encouraging result, the, the victory against Manchester United, sort of turned things round after the doom and gloom that followed Burnley. But I think it was probably more a tactical thing rather than um, the the period of rest that they they, they had or lack of matches. Um, Everything that Everton did seemed seemed hurried, and the kind of uh, things that worked against United, and the way that Allen and Fabian Delph had set up in the middle there, just breaking things up against United, they weren't able to do that against Leicester. Leicester City didn't allow them to do that, and I mean it was noted in the press box at the time there was a noticeable sh- shift where the 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 attacking movements and the, the press was removed, wasn't it? And it was brought back a bit differently, and then changed again. Further still in the second half with the, the introduction of Deli Ali and then Solomon Rondon. So, yeah, it, it relied on it needed it required a change of thinking. And to be fair to Frank and the, and the team, you could see that there were lots of discussions going on on, on, on the sidelines. They were proactive in that respect, and they, they could see the same for what we could see. It wasn't working, and, and changes were needed. So I think it, it was it was um, a, a tactical thing. And like um, Frank had said before the game, um, to be fair, you can't just try and push on from what you did against United. The Premier League brings up many sort of varied challenges and Leicester City were a very different proposition in the in the, in the way that they and they set up and that Everton sort of had different um, questions to answer. And, you know, they, they got there in it. I mean, ultimately, out of those last eight games of the season, if we include Wednesday night, um, 
25% of them are against Leicester City, but um, bizarrely enough, that was obviously Leicester's first game against Everton this season. They, they've got to do it all again at the, the King Power in a couple of weeks' time. So, I mean, that's not particularly encouraging in that they, oh, Everton did struggle to break down Leicester on, on their own turf, where they've got to go to their place as well. But, yeah, I think it was, it was probably more tactical rather than the actual um, absence of, of, of fixtures, although that probably played some part in maybe shaking off the rust and, and getting going again. Joel B said there were tactics on Wednesday night and Frank Lampard offered to play Fabian Delph and Allen in the midfield. It was something that worked against Man United, but it was something very quickly everyone in Goodison Parker's spot wasn't working against Leicester, was the same way where it teased well for an exercise 10 days before. I think it, when I looked at the starting 11, I think it was the right starting 11 to play. Uh, we did the, the team predictors um, you know, in, the, in the hours before and Frank actually picked the same 11 that, that, that I'd suggested. Um, and, <laughs> and and I think given the way that Delph and Allen performed against Manchester United, I think both deserve to be starting in the centre midfield. And I think that where the issue was perhaps, as Chris says, it was, was almost a tactical thing in that it was clear that Everton's front forward being told to press high up the pitch. And you could see that straight straight from the off. You could see Richardson and Warby hunting down centre-backs and you know, putting pressure on Kasper Schmeichel. You know, we had a nervy moment in the first few minutes. But I think the problem that Everton have got, and obviously it's something that they're going to focus on in their approach to, to Liverpool, is that if Delph and Allen are the best two, the best centre midfield partnership, then when I think of Delph and Allen that they're most effective, I tend to see them as two centre midfielders who like to sit quite deep and break up the play in front of the back line. And the problem that you've got when that happens is that if you've got a front four that, that press, once that first line of defence is, is, is beaten, once it's got past, all of a sudden you end up in a situation where, because Leicester remained confident of their ability on the ball, they kept players up the pitch and it just forced, it, it basically gave them a free reign in the centre of the pitch to then overload our fullbacks and wide players. They got you know down our left, got to the byline too easily for the goal and, and too easily a few times after that so I think it was probably the way that they were the way that they were told to play rather than the first 11 that was the issue luck at you know one of the positive things was that Frank obviously saw that it was coaching team and did make tweaks it took a long time for them to have an impact and Evan perhaps quite lucky that it was only one nil at the time that they began to address it and gain a foothold in, in in the game they were much better in the second half still not perhaps good enough until the last 15 minutes, but at least there was a lot more pressure on Mendy. At least Everton became a lot more compact and seemed to work a lot more better as a as a team so that they were harder to break down. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, the, the tweaks at least give you the, the confidence that Frank can see what is happening in a game and perhaps react to it, which a lot of managers can't do. I think bees in terms of the team selection on... One player a lot of Everton fans were glad to see back in the starting level was Jerry Mina. Mm. He made a massive difference but already today. Frank Lampard hinting a little bit that yeah. he may be in for a rest on Sunday. Do you think it's a case, having watched Mina play on Wednesday and, and how important he, he clearly is to Frank Lampard's side, it's a case of wrapping up and cotton wool and picking and choosing his games between now and the end of the season? Um, perhaps so, because I mean, let's look at the, the bare face statistics said he's played less than a third of the matches we've talked about he's probably played less than a half of the games since he's been at the club but this season alone 
less than a less than a third of the game. So big concerns, especially as like say there's a couple of midweekers to come, you know, obviously they go go to Watford away and then they've got the Crystal Palace at home in the very last week of the season. A couple of midweek fixtures. I mean, there are I'm gonna say massive games, but they're all massive games, aren't they? But particularly those two, they will be two of the those fixtures which will be seen as winnable fixtures for Everton. And that's especially the Watford one you can't be losing. Um but yeah, um you, you just don't know what you really mean at all. Maybe maybe you'll be okay, maybe you're playing them all, but at any point something might go. It's the same with Fabian Delph in, in midfield. You know, you build your hopes around him and as accomplished and as experienced he is, he, you know, he could blow up at any any moments. And just because it's a crucial period for Everton doesn't mean that those same old injury problems which have dogged those two players in recent seasons won't won't flare up again. Um, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be interesting because how's he going to go anyway at Anfield? Does he put an extra centre-back in? Does Michael Keane come in with Mina and Godfrey still alongside him. Does he put another extra central midfielder in, in, in like uh, Decore? I mean, you could have said Van der Beek, but we know he's out again. He would have been a different sort of proposition. But do you put Decore in as an extra man in the middle? Do you put Keane in as extra man at the back? Certainly, if you're thinking he, he's going to tweak it in some way to try and be more compact for, from the start away at Anfield. But yeah, I, I don't know. What do you do? Do you go with starting 11 for uh, put Yuri Mina in, or do you, you rest him in the hope that? Chelsea is perhaps a more winnable fixture at home the following week and get, give him that rest. I mean, he said that he will base it closer to the time of what he sees with Yeri Mina. So maybe it'll be one, they'll have a look at him at finish form so I don't and make that final decision on that. And I guess it'll be, you know, the player's actual fitness levels on on the day or going into that fixture, which will ultimately deem whether, whether he starts um, or not at Anfield. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Joe, one player, well, two players who come off the bench for Everton on Wednesday night. We're going to touch on both of them, but we'll start with the first one who made way, who came in the second half, and that was Deli Ali. It's obviously been a frustrating time for Ali since he joined the club. Back in January, things haven't really kicked on. He's not really taking his chances when handed them. Although fans are clearly clean as maybe seeing him run a games because he he has got undefined quality. What what was your opinion? What was your take on his, his little thirty five minute cameo on, on Wednesday night? Overall, I think it was positive. I think the you know it took a while for him to grow into the game, which for somebody who's had as few minutes as he has, is probably to be expected. You know, it's not as if he came on and had an immediate impact or helped to carve open the lesser defence. It was more. It was more the perseverance and the doggedness that saw Everton through as opposed to moments of quality. And, and again, you know, with the equaliser, say it was the perseverance and the determination of Ali you know, down the wing to, to get that ball in and then obviously Rondon and Richarlison to be in the box for it. You know, Deli Ali is a bit of an unknown quantity. You know, we haven't seen much of him for the last few years for, for Tottenham or for... Everton, let alone England, we know that he has a lot of quality. Could he be a magic bullet in Everton's season? You know, p- 
potentially in order to do that, he's going to need minutes. I thought it was an encouraging performance from him. And I think it was interesting to hear. And I think actually it was interesting that some of the more positive stuff came after the game, speaking to Lampard. You know, one of the questions I asked him was, what he done to merit coming on in that situation when Everton needed someone to come on and, and, and have an impact on the game against like you know, instead of you know, bringing Decore on who was on the bench or or Van der Beek and Lampard was very effusive in his praise for Lampard's attitude and you know his approach to training and what's going on at Finch Farm. It's undoubted that there's ability in Delhi Alley. You know, we've seen it for for several years. You know he was part of the Tottenham Hotspur side that got to the Champions League final. He's part of an England side that got to a World Cup semi-final. So we know that the quality is there. I think there's an acceptance at Everton that it's going to take a lot of time for that to come out, a lot of time for him to step up to his full potential. I don't think that, you know, I think they're taking it step by step by step. And hopefully, hopefully Wednesday was the biggest step going into a crucial run of games for, for Everton and is, is one that will give him the confidence now, especially when he sees the praise after the game. He sees the Everton fans got behind him. Hopefully that'll help it, give him the confidence, give him a boost, have an impact in more games coming forward as, as the season progresses. I think that Lampard knows there's a player there, but knows it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort, probably psychologically as well as physically, to get him up to the levels that we know that he's capable of. Hopefully, the hopefully they're a big step closer after what happened on Wednesday. These Joe said there, we, we know there's quality, and we all do know there's quality with, with Delhi Alley. We've all seen it ourselves. We, we all saw first hands for a lot of Evertonians when Michel Pochettino came to Everton a couple of years ago and, and ran riot. But have you been surprised how, how little impact Delhi Alley's had on Everton since his arrival, given Everton's struggles in midfield and, and given how you know they lack creativity and how they're crying out for someone to often take the game by scruff of the next? Yeah, you there was you know, despite the uh, chronic underachievement from Delhi Alley in recent seasons at Tottenham, there's still understandably a lot of excitement uh, greeted his uh, deadline day move to Everton. Seen as quite a coup in the, the way that the game, the, the deal was structured, and obviously uh, Daniel Levy gives you never gives you something for nothing, but. Initially, a free transfer, and if Everton did end up paying top dollar for him, it would be because he'd achieved great things with Everton. So, everyone's a winner in that respect. So, a lot of optimism in that. And like you said, in recent years, I think the uh, the, the famous Swiss um, football observatory had, had rated him as the world's most viable midfielder, you know, about three or four years ago. So, it's not like he's reached the veteran stage of his career. He's only just turned 26. So, yeah, there's... Uh, He'd have been thinking, you know, this Everton team been struggling so much, and uh, I'm really I'm in, in trouble if I, if I can't get into into this team. And yeah, he'd, he'd not played. I don't think he played for five weeks until he, he came on um, um, against Leicester City the other night. I think Wolves was his uh, his last appearance, so he played a little bit. Had a few substitute appearances in those first few weeks after he signed, and then he sort of like disappeared. I wasn't considered. Um, so there's obviously been a, a change there in training, which Frank Lampard alluded to. He said he had looked decent in training. It's, he, he looked like, um, I guess he'd showed that hunger or he'd, he'd certainly showed that ability again at, at Finch Farm, which hadn't con, considered to be you know, brought on relatively early on in, in the second half. Um, but yeah, dude, we, just, we all know there's, there's, there's a huge player in there. And I, I guess it, it, 
it'd be, it would be great if he, if he could play some more cameo roles, which would just get Everton over the line uh, this season. But you guess he, he's one for, for next season. Um, and I guess that should Everton be in the Premier League. Yeah, because I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Where, you don't know about any of them who's going to be around if they're not. But yeah, it certainly seems a, a long-term project. But what I would say is, I suppose if anyone's going to get out a tune out of him. It'll be the, the ultimate um, Premier League goal-scoring midfielder, which is uh, Frank Lampard. So another player who's done himself absolutely no harm across the bench on my friend was Solomon Rondon. He has a bit of an impact. A little bit dubious on terms of whether he meant the assist for Richarlison's equaliser, whether it was a purpose dummy or whether it was just a miscontrol of the ball. But I don't think any Everton fan really cares about that. Do you think he can play a massive part now at the end of the season? Obviously, we've seen John McCall got Lewin's house injured. He's been very stop star for, for Dom since August. Even the games he has played, he hasn't made up to 100% money. Do you think this is like Rondon's chance now to come in and really stake a claim and, and almost lead the line for Everton between now and the end of the season? I mean, it's definitely a huge opportunity for him, whether he has the ability to take advantage of it and the, the, the fitness and the mobility is, is probably the question. I think that given the situation with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, as frustration as frustrating as it is, and I'm sure it's frustrating for, for for him himself. You know, with such a short period left to the end of the season, with the injuries and the form issues that he suffered, I don't think Everton fans can put any reliance on Calvert Lewin coming back and firing Everton to to safety. You know, I, I think if he does come back and does hit a streak at the end of the season, that has to be a bonus rather than us looking to. You know his his return as as something that's going to save save the club. So in that respect, I think that obviously Rondon has an opportunity because you know there's a, there's a gap there at the top of the pitch. Now, does Richarlison fill it? Personally, for me, Richarlison is just so much more effective and he plays out wide. So much more effective when he has someone to pick loose balls off when he has a big man up around him, and also you know. Richarlison is someone who works very hard. I saw it in particular against Burnley and and, and also against Manchester United. You know, he, he does come back, he does fight, and if you know he does have a role to play in the defensive side of things. And if you play him out wide because he's a little bit deeper than the top man up front, he can have more of an impact in in, in both halves. So what Everton are really crying out for is somebody who can you know dominate and occupy centre backs at the top of the pitch and give Richarlison and the likes of Damari Gray and the likes of Anthony Gordon, the likes of Alex Awobi scraps to feed off. So there's a huge opportunity in on to do that. And we saw him do that quite well on Wednesday night when he came in. He, he, you know, he, he almost scored from a corner. He played a valuable role in, in, in the goal that was scored. For the first time during that match, after his introduction, you saw that Fafana and Evans actually had something to concentrate on. You know, they were taken out of their comfort zone. So there's no doubt that he's an asset to to Everton's squad. The question is whether he can do that more than for just 15, 20 minutes at a time. Obviously, we're not seeing him at Finch Farm. We don't know what his fitness levels are. My concern would be that, you know, if we go into games starting him, and, he, you know, he is probably... You know, I, I don't know if he can do that against certainly against Chelsea and Liverpool for, for 90 minutes at a time. We might be relying too heavily on him. 
but there's definitely an opportunity for him. There's, there's no one else that can do what he does and Everton desperately needs someone who does what he does. If he's capable of providing it, it'll be massive for Everton for the rest of this season. Hopefully, hopefully he is. And if he's not, I think the answer probably has to be a change in tactics rather than leaving Richarlison up top by himself where he gets isolated and, and occupied. And, you know, if he's got two centre-backs on him, you know, has much less of an impact on the game. But he's just touching on it there saying it may be seen if he's got a full game in, in Rondon and whether he can, you know, offer more than the kind of 15, 20 minute camera of the bench. But do you think moving forward, Frank Lampard might have no choice but to just roll his ice and, and hope that Solomon Rondon can get everything through, through, you know, 80, 90 minutes games because, you know, his options are very thin up top. And like we saw on Wednesday night, if Everton are going to be reduced to, you know, long balls at times, there's no point in playing Charleston as, as the central striker, is there? Yeah, I thought it was weird that, you know, um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin was out and yet they were playing to Richarlison as if he was Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I thought that was ridiculous to, to, to start off. And it's not been the kind of way that uh, Lampard operates. Well, I suppose they were lumping it forward rather than getting crosses in from the wings. But yeah, they were treating Richarlison like he was the target man. And, and Frank spoke today, didn't he? He felt that, in his opinion... Richarlison could be an effective number nine because he he don't play as the classic centre forwards that we might have seen in, in yesteryear and uh, he felt he had those modern attributes to to play and he said a lot of teams don't play with what we would class as the, the old-fashioned number nine so he, do, he does seem happy with that but I, I certainly I go along with what, what Joe was saying I think Richarlison as much as he has said to the manager that centre forward is his preferred position and that's kind of where he operates when he's playing for Brazil I think for Everton, he's, he is better off um, coming inside from from the wing. Like I said, he's he's more involved in things. Certainly against particular opposition, especially when it's, it's like the top teams, like when they went to Man City and, like you said, got the, the Liverpool and Chelsea games on the horizon. He can get very isolated up there, Richarlison, and you're not sort of um, bringing him into play and getting be- getting the best out of his attributes the way as if he was cutting inside for the wing. So given that there's a there's no other options in there. Uh, Tosin never seems to be around. Obviously, Calvert-Lewin was interesting. We knew he was going to be out with the derby as well as the Leicester City game. But when Frank was asked about him again today, would he be ready for the next game after that, which is, which is Chelsea? A very sort of um, quick, we'll see. And uh, nothing more on that one. So, yeah, given that Rondon, as Joe said, is the only player who can play that way in, in the squad, uh, it's certainly got to be an option at various points you know, in the season, end of the season, I mean, it might be like a game like Watford away might be the one where you put him in from the start, but who knows, you need, you could start at Anfield on Sunday because it's, it's one way you're supposed to try and combat Liverpool as go long. 24 hours then after Everton's 1-1 draw with Leicester Goodison Park, all Everton eyes were focused on Turf Moor and unfortunately for everyone associated with Everton, the clouds picked up a more than vital 2 no win for themselves, beating Southampton. We're easy to think in the end we can all agree they Certainly in the first half, they created numerous opportunities. Joe, it was a pretty sombre evening that wasn't it for Evertonians last night, and one that once again dawned on them that they find themselves in the right old pickle. Yeah, it was another, you know, after the kind of the positivity following the way they snatched the point against Leicester, you know, you see that gap just extended a little bit more, and you look at that table and you realise not only is it four points, but it's four points and we play the same number of games, you know. I think there was a lot of hope going around, especially Southampton, you know, one at the weekend as well, that they could perhaps put up more of a fight than they did against Burnley. 
I mean, Burnley could have won by far more than, than two goals. On the flip side, I think um, Southampton missed one or two golden opportunities when the game was still in the balance. Even I think Romeo had a great opportunity when it was still nil-nil. So it'd be interesting to see how Burnley would have reacted or it'd be interesting to see how they, see how they react on, on Sunday against Wolves if they were to go one nil down. But I think ultimately it was a reminder to everybody, you know, interested in Everton's plight that you know, this is going to be a fight. This is going to go to the end. You know, after the sacking of Sean Dyche, that felt like such a, a peculiar decision that it opened up the possibility that Burnley might just collapse from there. They've taken away their talismanic leader who is so often overseen Burnley escape relegation in the past. You know, you think that if anybody can get a tune out of the players that Burnley have got, it's the man that's brought them all to the club and, you know, his coach meant so many of them for so many years and so many of them have brought into his into his approach to the game. Clearly that squad is more resilient than than some of us perhaps gave them credit for after Dice was removed. You know, they could so easily have gone two and up away at West Ham if, if Cornet had scored that penalty. And, and obviously they got the win last night. And, you know, you go into that Wolves game, Wolves are still feet, you know, fighting for Europe and Wolves are a very good side. But again, but you wouldn't rule out Burnley getting a win in, in that game. And I think that's probably the biggest the biggest concern from having watched and followed that game that it shows that Burnley are up for the fight and therefore yeah, Everton aren't going to get a free pass out of this. This is, this is going to go to the end. There's going to be a lot more twists and turns, a lot more agonising 90 minutes for Everton fans, not just following the Blues, but also following other teams' results. And, you know, that's, that's you know, we've got to strap ourselves in for the next few weeks because it's that's probably going to take us right to the very end, whether we like it or not. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the first time we've spoken on the pod since Sean Dyche was sacked, brutally sacked in many people's eyes last Friday. Um, there was shock, <laughs> this amazement that, that Burnley had made the call with so many, so many few games left and seemingly with no plan of someone to come in and take over after them. What, what were your thoughts on, on the sack and when it first happened? And, and do you think it, it, was, it was good or bad for Everton? Because it seems to get Burnley a bit of a lift. Now they've got four points from the last two games, one one a one one draw, which they could have easily won up West Ham on Sunday, a two win over Southampton. From an Everton perspective, was that good or bad news, do you think? I think only time will tell, but it, it seemed like a, a desperate act, especially when it seems that they didn't have somebody lined up. You might have said, Well, brutal, but um you could vindicate it if you know they they had somebody in the pipeline who was ready to to take charge, be that somebody like Sam Allardyce, renowned firefighter in these sort of um, conditions, or whoever. But uh, yeah, I mean, we said after the defeat at, at Burnley that uh, if anyone's got credit in the bank, it, it, it's Sean Dyche. You know the way you know he 
was like an absolute ruler in his, his own little fiefdom there up there at, at, at Turf Moor with the, the Royal Dice pub that we saw them mocked up as Henry VIII, which was obviously put up after they, they reached Europe that, that year that Allardyce was actually at Everton. You uh, thought, well, he's, he's also the man, whether they were to escape relegation or not, who would ultimately go on and could take, you'd know it would be as good as anyone to take Burnley back up again if they did go down. So maybe they thought nearly after 10 years, let's just have a throw of the dice here, see see what it does. And I suppose you could say, well, they've taken four points from those games. You know, we'll never know, will we, if they'd have got those under under Sean um, Dyche or, or, or not. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting now. I mean, did he, did he, did he stick with Mike Jackson for the, the rest of the season now? We we've not really heard anything in terms of them having somebody up the sleeve. And after four points from those two games, maybe just stick with a caretaker and just see how it goes. Because it ultimately, if they... If, if they if they were to lose a relegation battle, it wouldn't be anywhere near as catastrophic as it as it would be for Everton. And they'll Burnley cut their cock accordingly, and they've been up and down in recent seasons. And given you know they're they're operating in the Premier League's smallest market in terms of um, uh, where they are and their, their supporter base, really. So they 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 can they can afford both the players and and the fans as much as the fans won't like it, but they will accept the situation more than. The Evertonians were, you know, to, to be where they are, and um, so so be it. Whether they win it or not, they can uh, they can sort of be more open minded about it. Whereas for Everton, the way that the club is set up, a new stadium on the horizon, two years time, the fact that they shouldn't be anywhere near this. Um, this is a mid-table squad should be packed with internationals. I mean, it's horrendous that they're even in this position. I was speaking to Alan yesterday. And we were asking him, you know, it was it's a piece for the Sunday for the Sunday um, editions, and you know, I can't give too much away, but you know, we we asked him about uh, did it hurt his pride and just to be involved in something like this because he's come to Everton from playing Champions League football at Napoli, and then I mean, there's other people there with, with big pedigrees. So I th- I think that there's a lot. There's clearly, obviously, as we all know, there's a lot more to lose for Everton. So maybe the, the, the powers that be at Turf more just thought, well. Dice been here for nearly 10 years. Let's, let's just try something and see if it works. Joe, looking at the bigger relegation picture, a lot of Evertonians have been quick to point out that should you know, results go certain ways over the weekend, one of them being Crystal Palace beating Leeds potentially on Monday night at Selhurst Park, then Leeds are far from out of the picture of relegation, the relegation they will be sucked back in. Do, do you think that's the case? Do you think there's a few teams who should be nervous looking over the shoulder, or do you think this is a, a fairly a two-way battle between Everton and and Burnley for the last place in the Premier League. There's no doubt that Leeds are, are still in the relegation picture. You know, their goal difference is far inferior to, to both Everton and Burnley's, and you know, they have a very tough run of games. They've got Palace away on Monday night, and after that they play Man City. I think they play Man City, might even be Man City, Arsenal and, and Chelsea. And, um, you know, they're definitely catchable, but obviously... In order to catch them, Everton have, have got to start winning games. And that was perhaps one of the biggest frustrations about Wednesday night. Had Everton won, then Leeds would firmly be in their sights. And it would put a lot of pressure on the Yorkshire club um, going into the run of fixtures that, that they've got. By not winning that, we've let Leeds off the hook. Hopefully we'll get further opportunities to drag them into it. I don't think that Leeds can be complacent. And I don't think that 
Everton should write Everton fans should write Leeds off as not being involved in this because they're definitely catchable. They are another side that's in this relegation battle. You know, it could well be that it's you know, I, I do think it's any two from three. You know, it's it's any sorry, any, any one from three, any one of um Leeds, Burnley or, or Everton. Leeds are in the position that I would most like to be in. They've got more points on the board. Um, and I think Leeds are comfortably the favourites to survive, given that they've got the additional points on the board compared to Everton and Burnley at the moment. But there is no doubt that Everton can put a lot of pressure on Leeds. Um, but in order to do so, in order for there to be any danger of Leeds going down instead of Everton, Everton have got to start winning games. And when you look at the fixtures that are coming up, Winning games is going to be tough. It's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination. You know, for all their difficulties this season, Everton do have a lot of talented players. Even across you know the last few weeks, we've seen that there is a lot of passion and determination and fight among some of those players that are on the pitch. And we know, we know the weapon that Goodison Park and the home fans are, you know, particularly for the upcoming Chelsea game. You know, Everton's destiny remains in their own hands. That's something that the late point helped to secure. They can certainly put Leeds under a lot of pressure. They could finish above Leeds. That's not unrealistic at all. But like I say, in order to do that, they've got to catch up with them first. Because John mentioned goal difference just now. If you look at the table, two goals separate Everton. Well, two goals separate Everton and Burnley in the table. Given Everton's fixtures in the coming weeks and Burnley's fixtures, is that something that we need to keep just a close eye on as, as we do points and, and, and fixtures and etc.? Yeah, I remember I've seen the. Uh, I, I've I've lived and survived the two um, last day of the season escapes. You know, I'm old enough to have been there. I've got some for both of those ninety four, ninety eight. Very different scenarios. Um, but the latter one is when Everton stayed up on goal difference ahead of Open Wanderers that that season, and yeah. So that's another reason why you uh, you don't want to be on the receiving end of a hiding at Anfield um, tomorrow. Uh, uh, sorry, Sunday. Um, yeah, could uh, given how close it is, it could, could always um, play a part. And also, I mean, we don't want to be talking too much at this stage about this, but I, I wouldn't be holding out much hope with having to get a result going to Arsenal on the last day of the season, and you don't want to get a, you don't want to get a pan in there either. So, yeah. Uh, it, it, it of course could be it could be crucial and uh, it, it's it's one of those isn't it that anything's going we're going to move on to this but anything's going to be a bonus at Anfield but on the on the same token uh, you, you don't want to be really getting that goal difference taking a hammer in because if we saw midweek Manchester United they put four past them that you know they're well capable of it scored four goals at, at Goodison earlier this season albeit under a different manager. We all did see Liverpool hammer Manchester United on Tuesday night in Anfield, and we've seen them pick up numerous good results and put numerous good displays since since the turn of the calendar year. Everton obviously go there the weekends. Last time Everton did go to Anfield, they came away with a 2 0 victory under Carl Ancelotti. But this is going to be a monumental task, isn't it, for Frank Lampard as Everton decide to get something out of the game on Sunday? It is. Yeah, there, there, there's no point you know, trying to play silly games or anything. You know, Liverpool are you know, one of the best sides going at the moment. So you, you can see that in their results. You can see that in the form. You can see that by the numerous fronts that they're competing on, even in this this late stage of the season. One thing I don't think Everton can afford to do, though, is I, I don't think they can write the game off. You know, uh, hear certain people you know talk about this as if it's almost a free hit. The expectations are so low 
the the players can just go out and express themselves because anything's a bonus. But I think the problem is that given how valuable every point is to, to Everton, given how valuable, as we just alluded to, the goal difference is to Everton, given how valuable momentum is and you know, given the fans something to get behind in terms of their resolve and their resilience, I think that Evan have to go to Anfield doing everything that they can to find the most effective way to to get something from that game. I like the idea of being able to target certain games in the running as, as, as most winnable. And perhaps, you know, there's a suggestion that you'd maybe save players for them. I don't think Evan can afford to do that. And we know that football's a funny game, just as we all thought that Leicester might have down tools for, for Wednesday and that might be a, a winnable game and, and it turned out to be a very difficult proposition. You know, there's every chance that there might be one or two of those games. Obviously, we've got Liverpool, we've got Chelsea, we've got Arsenal, where some of these, you know, some of our more talented players might come to the fore. We might get a lucky decision. Um, you know, VAR might come to our help. Something an opposition player might do a daft back pass or, you know, put a rash tackle and reduce them to 10 men. And, you know, obviously, as Frank's alluded today, there's, there's no doubt that Everton go into the Anfield game as the underdogs. But what they can't afford to do is they can't afford to do something like what Man United did earlier on this week and turn up and just not show up at all and just be humiliated um, at, at Anfield. They can't do that. Even if they lose, which is the result that most people would expect to, they've got to give the fans enough of a glimmer that they're still competitive, that they still want to do everything that they can to, to pull Everton out of this, this, this mess. Because we know that the fans will get behind them at Goodison for Chelsea in the game after. But what the players can't do is that they, they, they can't take that for granted. They can't decide, oh... Liverpool are so much better than us on the form guide that we're not going to show up today. We'll save our legs and and whatever and just take whatever comes to us. They can't do that. They can't afford to do that. They've got to go there believing that they can get a result and doing everything that they can to to, to achieve that. And, you know, if they get there and Evan Ammon started games particularly well recently, one of Liverpool's greatest facets under Jurgen Klopp is that they tend to start games very well. Well, if Evan can get through that first 20 minutes, it's still nil-nil, then, you know, Liverpool have got a lot of pressure on them as well. You know, they're obviously, you know, they, they probably need to win every game to have a chance of overhauling Man City. And, you know, if Man City win at the weekend before Liverpool play, then the pressure will be on them as well. And there will be nerves at Anfield. You know, this is a derby. It's a massive, massive cliche. Of course, it is that form goes out the window and anything can happen. Well, you know, form doesn't always go out the window in these things and Liverpool's form is just that much better than Everton's that, you know, it's still hard to see how just something like the emotional atmosphere and, and nature of a derby is going to throw them off their stride. But Everton just have to cling on to everything that they can do. Those, those players have to do everything that they can do when they go out on that pitch to give themselves the best chance of getting a surprise result because, you know, just a point could be crucial in, in the way things unfold in the rest of the season. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. He's your somewhat of a Merseyside derby veteran among mm. the sports desk. You, you've, you've seen a fair few in your time. There's a cliche that there's no such thing as a free hit, certainly in the Merseyside derby sense, but having seen Everton over the years, you know, no matter how well Liverpool have done or you know, how well Everton have been doing or how bad Liverpool have been doing, do you think this is one of the first derbies where there is a massive golfing class and 
and it really is a fear for Everton. And if they do, you know, if they do get something great, but there's very, very little expectation of, of Frank Lampard and start this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Everton have gone into derbies before where they've been struggling in the table. I tend to remember a couple of ones when they when they actually did well. They had a spell in the 90s where they were doing well, and then obviously uh, Joe Royal, um, they were in the bottom three going into that one, but that, that was in November. Won that one, and obviously at Goodison as well, and the Danny Cadamastri one when they were struggling. But to be this deep into the season, I mean, didn't bode well. Somebody uh, produced a stat today say that Everton have never won a derby ever in April. I mean, that's damn in there. It maybe shows as you get towards the business end of the season, whatever's going on, that um, Everton aren't winning these derby matches. But yeah, they've not even had what less than half the points of what Liverpool have accumulated. It's, it's absolutely pulls apart in terms of the seasons that they're having and the way that they are for, for fans. An old friend of mine who's, who's a Liverpool fan, he, you know, he can't wait for each fixture to come along. And, you know, there's that expectation. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's party time. Um, chasing an un, unprecedented quadruple don't mean that they will end up with that. But just the fact that they're chasing that, whereas Everton, let's have no bones about it. This is... Even if Everton survived, there's a potential that this would be Everton's worst points total in the club's top flight history. Point to, if you take three points for a win equivalent in. Lowest they ever got was 39 points in uh, 2004. I mean, at least that's encouragement if they do survive, that they went on the following season and actually had their highest ever Premier League finish. But that was a strange one because they were never actually in relegation danger, got themselves safe at Easter and then just plummeted in the last six weeks of the season. But... Yeah, in terms of the team's two respective forms, like we said, massive um, differential in points. The fact that Liverpool uh, are going for the title, uh, Everton are just above the relegation zone, and the fact that Liverpool are unbeaten at Anfield all season, whereas Everton haven't won away from home in the Premier League since August um, see last season. It, it's a legitimate result. It'll obviously be there in the record books. But very different circumstances to you know to go and play in a, an empty Anfield. I thought at the time, I thought you know, I spoke to Kevin Cavalier that game. We both agreed that was Everton's best chance to win since '99, and they went and followed that up, and they did win. Liverpool were on a bit of a losing streak at Anfield at that time. Totally different circumstances this time around. But I do agree there is no such thing as a free hit in the Merseyside derby. Certainly in these circumstances, whereas Joe says every point does count. Um, I'd be like Frank when Frank was asked today if he'd take a draw. Of course you would. Of course you'd take a draw. Joe, looking at a team selection then, you know, Everton got a couple of injuries out. Tony van der Beek, Andre Gomez are, are out. So too Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But how do you expect to see Everton line up? Do you think Frank Lampard will go back to the five at the back? He'll have to play tight or do you think he'll, he'll stick with the four we've seen in recent weeks? It's a very difficult one to try and work out especially because there's still question marks over over the fitness of some of the players that, that are still returning from long-term injuries you know it's illusion to both Delph and, and Mina as to whether or not they can do back-to-back midweek and, and, and weekend games I think firstly I think what Frank has to do is he has to put the strongest 11 that's fit on the pitch if Yerry Mean is 85%, all right, fair enough, rest him. But if he's 100%, but you're worried about his fertility and you think maybe Chelsea's a better game for him to play, give him, a, give him, give him the rest. Like I've just alluded to there, I don't think Edson could afford to do that. Same with Delph, you know. He did bring a lot of control against Manchester United. Okay, he struggled to have much of an impact 
uh, or struggle to have an impact against um, Leicester. But I think that might be more due to the, te- the, the tactical setup than than other things. So I, I think the, the the best eleven that is available has to be played. You know, I, I don't think you write this game off and rest players trying to be too cute with with, with the fixture list. I think there's a danger that if you play Richarlison up top by himself, that he becomes isolated, like we've said, that he tends to do against some of the better sides. And I think that, you know, I want him out wide. I think you probably go 4-5-1. I think there's a danger that if you go 4-3-3 or 4-4-2, you get overloaded in, in midfield. I think this is a game that... I mean, you look at the centre-backs, whoever their Liverpool play alongside Van Dijk, what you don't want them to do is have lots of time on the ball because a player of Van Dijk's quality can be dangerous with it, even at a centre-back. So in that scenario, you could perhaps say a case for a child's and buzzing around them, trying to pick up on scraps and put them under pressure. But, you know, I, I think maybe we have a look at, at Rondon, someone who's going to really pose a threat for... Van Dijk and either Matip or Kuate uh, um, in, in the air, give them something to to think about, give the likes of Gordon and Richarlison, who we know are going to be up for it, going to be fighting for it, going to be fighting for every scrap, give them something to actually feed off so that Everton do pose some kind of attacking threat. Because, if, you know, Liverpool's big strength, and they've got a lot of strengths, of course they have, but you know, their big strength comes from their, you know, their full-backs. But what that does mean is it does mean that there is space in behind those fullbacks to to potentially exploit. And if you've got Rondon perhaps making life a nuisance for for the centre backs, and you've got loose balls dropping on uh, drop dropping in the middle of the pitch, well, you know there will be space there for for Gordon and for Richarlison to pick up and and, and run at the defence and you know, pick up some of those loose balls and create some pressure. Maybe at the very least force Trent. And, and Robertson back a little bit and perhaps cause Liverpool to alter their game plan. So I'd, I'd probably I'd go with a you know 4-5-1-4-3-3 with Richarlison and Gordon out wide. I'd try and keep it compact, but I'd, I'd start Rondon. Uh, Everton have so few options going forward in the absence of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. There are big question marks over Rondon and whether he can do it for 90 minutes, particularly against a side of the quality of Liverpool. But I think that... You know, this is this will be a litmus test for the rest of the season. Um, if he can do something, if he can help cause a nuisance like he did against Leicester, then you know that might be something that's worth worth trying to exploit. And also, you know, especially if if, if Kanati's playing and with the goal scoring threat that he's provided, and someone like Rondon defensively for set pieces might not be the worst thing um, for for Everton. And also, we know in a game like this, like in any game against the sides that are going for titles and European qualification, that set pieces will be important opportunities for Everton to potentially pose a threat. They haven't posed enough of a threat from set pieces in games throughout this season, which is a shame bearing in mind that we've got such talented deliverers of the ball, particularly in, in Gordon. Rondon is useful at both ends, so that's that's probably what I'd look at. I'd probably look at five in midfield and I'd probably start Rondon up, up top and then just see if we can fight our way to to to, to a decent result. Rondon up top, then bees is the message from Joe Thomas there. Do you expecting similar? You think maybe a wild card by Frank Lampard, or do you think it'd be pretty much more of the same from what we've seen over the last couple of weeks? 
I mean, I haven't watched the same much selection. Yeah, I think if he's going to change it up front, that'd be the one that he's, he's going to do. And certainly say, I wouldn't put in um, the third centre-back because I think when they played that system, nobody seems to sort of know what their, their role is. You've got, you, you want to have the, the middle centre-back as being decent in, in possession and able to spray it about and uh, don't quite seem to know their roles because they don't play that system every week. And it same goes for the, the full-backs uh, come wing-backs and it gives a slightly different role for them. Um, especially with Liverpool's full-backs pushing forward so much. So I wouldn't do that. I'd, whether it's Rondon coming in up front, which I think is the only alternative you can have going forward, or, um, as, as Joe said, the 4-5-1, certainly I'd be tempted to have the extra man in, in midfield. I think the core is a pretty natural fit to come in there alongside the other two lads, Alan and um, Fabian Delph, who didn't get overrun, but they just, uh, they get, like we said, they gained the... The way the Leicester game was tactically, uh, they weren't able to sort of have the same sort of impact. I think he is the only one in terms of the change around the, the strike force. And I, I certainly see that there's a lot of compelling points that George has made out for, for going with Rondon um, for, for this particular game. Right then, before we finish, lads, and we wrap things up, George, start with you, score prediction. I'm going to go 1-1 um, go and, and, and back up my... my... Thought process just then by saying that uh, Rondon comes up with a big header at some point and somehow Everton kind of you know fight their way through to a valuable point. A big header from Rondon. Bees, you feel optimistic or? Uh, <laughs> no. I'm actually going to. I think I'm going to um, break with precedent here. And unfortunately, I'm not going to go with a positive one. Uh, I got the I got the prediction for the Goodison Derby half right in that I, I said Everton won. I'd actually said Everton won Liverpool nil, and actually finished Everton won. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go for the same aggregate again um, as it finished um, for that one unfortunately I'm going to go for Liverpool 3 Everton 0 I'm going to go for Everton 1 Liverpool 0 someone's got to go we can't have to go over the block casting no one back in the blue legend (laughs) (laughs) but no cheers guys thank you very much for joining me and we will be back on Monday to discuss all all the outcomes from Sunday's Merseyside derby the relegation battle, Burnley's result against Wolves, Leeds looking ahead to Leeds against Crystal Palace. We'll be back to discuss it all. So thank you very much, Joe and Chris, for joining me. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.